Welcome to the IEEE Blockchain Podcast Series, an IEEE Digital Studio production. This podcast series, entitled Research Notes in Blockchain, is hosted by Quinn Dupont, former assistant professor at the University College Dublin School of Business and founder of Alumni, a Web3 startup with a mission of putting university diplomas on blockchain. Quinn is also the author of Cryptocurrencies and Blockchains. In this episode, Victoria Lemieux, Associate Professor of Archival Science and lead of the Blockchain Research Cluster at the University of British Columbia, discusses her research focused on risk to the availability of trustworthy records, in particular, blockchain. Thanks, Vicky, for joining us here today. I really wanted to speak with you in particular because you've got, I think, one of the more sophisticated accounts of trust uh, as it pertains to blockchain. And uh, I've been enjoying your, your, your forthcoming book tremendously. And so I thought maybe the first place to start would be if you give me a little bit of a, a sense of what trust just kind of is generally, and, and particularly maybe why why this is important for the internet uh, as, as a in general and blockchain in particular. Right. Well, wow, big question. So, you know, trust is an incredibly diversely described and conceptualized concept. So, you know, even slippery sometimes. But basically, in in my book that you reference, I have surveyed a wide, uh, vast amount of literature. And and Russell Harden's core conceptualization of trust as, you know, basically in cat the the trust the person who is trusting or the entity doing the trusting um, somehow the the entity or the person they're placing their trust in encapsulating their interest uh, so trust as encapsulated interest this conceptualization of trust really forms the foundation for my conceptualization of trust and I do I, unlike Harden I think it is scalable to a social level so he talks about it in terms of of individuals, and um, he, he's sort of skeptical about it being scalable to to, to at the social level, uh, to like governments. But but I think it is scalable, and I describe why in the book. Um, and I also um, he has he wrote in two thousand and four, well before you know, before really uh, a lot of the research on the internet and trust in the internet, and and of course you know. We, we know the problems of, of trust and the internet. Um, we see that all the time with, uh, you know, hackers and people, um, you know, pretending to be someone else, uh, you know. Uh, um, and On the internet, nobody knows you're a dog. Yes, I wasn't going to mention that 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 yeah. meme, but <laughs> that's that's the always the go to meme, and the fact that you know as digital as information takes digital form, it is much more manipulatable, which is really something I really focus on in my book. What does that mean to encapsulate interest? Right. So so what that basically means is that um, as as Harden describes it, is that. Um, what is in the interest of the person being, you know, in whom you might be placing your trust, 
uh, is, is also in your interest. So they're, they're basically thinking about what your interests are. So there's a cognitive process going on. They are understanding, hey, you have interests. And they're able to think about your interests and think about them in relation to their own interests and, and your interests align. So it's, it's kind of like we see in the blockchain space where incentives are aligning. You know, we, mm. our interests are, um, you know, somehow uh, made to align usually by consensus, consensus mechanisms, um, the way that consensus mechanisms work. So it, there's a nice symmetry here. Hardin's process is very cognitive, and other theorists really talk about the affective dimensions of, of trust, that there's an emotional dimension. Like when we feel betrayed, um, we, you know, we, there's like you feel angry, you feel you know, ashamed, um, there, and so I don't deny that there are these other dimensions. I don't uh, ascribe to the view that trust is a purely cognitive process. I think there are other things going on. Again, I describe that in the book. But what I really then um, target is when we're deciding whether or not to trust that other person, you know, making a decision about whether we think we're going to put ourselves at some risk because trust involves some risk. It means that we're going to make ourselves vulnerable in some way to that to, to the risk of being betrayed by that other party. Like maybe their interests aren't really aligned with my interests. Maybe this technology isn't really going to, you know, do what it says and and I'm going to be manipulated. Um, so so you have to make some kind of an assessment based on information, knowledge you gain about the, how trustworthy, how trustworthy, how worthy of that is that other party of you placing your trust, making yourself vulnerable. And um, so some philosophers, they'll debate whether or not, um, you know, that's a, a process that, you know, we're naturally trusting and we, you know, we, we take in information, we really stop trusting only when there's an overwhelming amount of information that the other party isn't trustworthy. Um, some say we, you know, it's more cognitive um, and we are thinking about it. And then we, when we trust, we, we bring that trusted party into sort of like our, our whole cognitive frame. Um, and and they, they sort of become a part of us in a way, an extension, a, a cognitive extension of, of ourselves. So there's there's variations on this theme, but you know, at some level, I I argue that there's this assessment that's going on. It's there is a cognitive process, but it's filtered through emotions and ideology and cognitive biases and so on. But at the core, there it's epistemic in that it involves knowledge, mm. and it and knowledge in for it involves the formation of beliefs, and so. It's the epistemic nature of trust that I really focus in on the book. And when we have an epistemic basis of trust and we need knowledge, uh, we need to think about, well, wait, um, I'm making an assessment about this, this party I'm trusting based on, on knowledge and information I'm receiving. How trustworthy is that information? And that, so then we have, to, we, we have to go through the same process with the information the evidence that we're using to make an assessment about whether the other party is trustworthy or not. And that's where I think blockchain comes in. I right. think that it's the ledger. The ledger gives us a basis 
for believing that the information we're basing an assessment of whether we're going to transact with that other party is, is, is trustworthy. And so it gives us, you know, that, that confidence that we can transact, we can place our trust in that other party. And trust is extremely important for economic transactions. Uh, As many um, theorists, economists, uh, Kenneth Arrow, for example, uh, Nobel Prize winning economist has written about and social collective social action. So where we don't have trust, we, we can't have, you know, complex economic and social interactions and we can't coordinate our actions. Uh, we can't solve global climate change, for example, because we, we can't coordinate um, because our, you know, we don't trust and our, we, our incentives aren't aligned. And um, we can't form trusting relationships without this epistemic foundation. And in a world in which we have the internet where, and digital information, where information has become much less trustworthy in itself, and we don't have a firm grasp on how we can determine whether the information we're getting is trustworthy, we have a problem with trust, mm-hmm. which is the problem, I argue, that blockchain promises. I'm not saying it necessarily delivers in the book. I talk about some of the complicating factors, but blockchain promises that trust in information that we need for broader social and economic trust. Mm-hmm. So Harden is Russell Harden's really concerned with a social dimension of trust and, and, and specifically this epistemic one that you point out. But <clears throat> what I hear is interesting is you're pointing to that. There's a, there's a shift to the, the socio-technical here where there's these systems in place that offer opportunities to, well, I don't know how to put it. I mean, how would you say what 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 is the blockchain doing there? I guess obviously it has to do something with the fact that we've got records and that we can verify them and we can be sure that they're accurate and some way that fits into the the social part. Could you, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So so again, I I talk about in the book, um, and I don't write at great length in in the my forthcoming book, but. I have written at greater length in a um, a previously published edited volume on um, designing for for trust, like in decentralized systems, and I talk about there the idea of blockchains not as you know these technical artifacts that are outside of us, um, but as and not even as socio-technical systems, again, which, you know, have social dimensions, but are kind of outside of us. But I draw on, um, on, on, you know, sort of Bruno Latour and, you know, similar ontological perspectives where, uh, you know, this, the social, um, social actors and technical actors or actants, um, are ontologically equivalent and they're all networked. They're mm. all the, they have a networked relationships and they all interact and influence each other. And so what, what I basically am saying is a blockchain is a complex system where you have a, you know, a social, social layer or social actants, you have an information layer or information actants, and you have a technical layer of technical actants. Um, and we think 
we think about technology usually as these technical components. But what I'm saying is that they're only, you know, one layer or one, I think if you're talking about systems theory and complex systems theory, one subsystem that interacts with all of these other subsystems. And and so the, the original theory was three layers, then uh, working collaboratively with uh, colleagues, um, uh, you know, from multiple disciplines, in, including yourself, <laughs> and, um, and, you know, workshopping this idea, it emerged, a, a more complex and nuanced theory emerged where it's, there's a social subsystem, informational subsystem, technical subsystem, and a governance subsystem. And the goal of this complex system is, is ultimately trust, social trust not right. technical trust. Right. Um, so what does this mean? It means that the technology doesn't live outside of us. It's not sort of this object, this artifact. Um, it, it is something that, and th this is why I think the concept of the ecosystem is so important in the blockchain space. It is something that we work together collaboratively as human beings and technology working together to create this informational reality um, this epistemic reality, which, you know, and drawing on, on various theorists, um, uh, mostly from sort of linguistic theory, uh, that we, we sort of bring our social reality into existence. Uh, so this epistemic reality breathes life into our ontological reality, and it can transform it. So we're part of, like, we've, we're part of, and we we co-create this ecosystem through technology and through the information that is is the ledger that is created from blockchain yeah. technology. This it's a very mind warping way to look at blockchain. <laughs> I think uh, when you're used to looking at it as a technical artifact. Yeah, and, and this and this transformation you speak of, I think this is one of the really kind of interesting and things about blockchain and that it's and this is a lot of where it's power lies but it's also it cuts both ways because you know I, I often think of blockchain as kind of a behavioral technology right and many people have picked up on there's this concept of crypto economics and mm -hmm. i've um spoken with uh on this podcast before sherman vashmagir and um uh michael zargam who've both written on crypto economics and they point out and they they, they too agree with you and say it's a complex system but as such this brings us, uh, gives us tremendous power to be able to modify people's behaviors, you know, aligning incentives and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. uh, there's risks here, aren't there? Absolutely. You know, we, so, so ethical design really has to come into it because when you're entering into the design of, of blockchain systems, you are really manipulating with one of the core uh, fabrics of, of, of society um, and, and of human existence, trust. And um, thinking about how trust maybe is broken in the context of which you're designing that system and how you can repair trust is, you know, is, is extremely delicate and it can be subverted. Uh, it can be subverted to your own in interest. So there are you know, there are many opportunities for, you know, capture of, of platforms and people and, and so on. Um, so I, I agree with you. There are, there are definite risks. Here's the other side of the coin, though. 
that in complex systems, and we know this even from, you know, not even complex systems, just from technology design, that, you know, systems, complex systems evolve in ways that are sometimes not necessarily predicted, you know, by their designers. Complex systems theory comes by, you know, a lot of it coming from looking at more naturalistic types of of ecosystems, um, not designed ecosystems. But we know from technology design that people appropriate technology and use it in ways that the designers never even thought of all the time. And so much so more the case for a complex system, which is not just a static artifact that people might use and and appropriate and creatively um, apply in in ways that were not intended, but it's also a complex system meant to evolve and it doesn't necessarily evolve in, you know, a linear, predictable fashion. So that's the interesting part of this. And we have to keep track of that and we have to... We have to observe how it's evolving and the effect that it's having as well, uh, which, you know, I think we're, we're so early days in this technology that, you know, in thinking about this technology that we haven't nearly developed the mechanisms or even the, the intellectual architecture for thinking about it, you know, and clearly enough and how we might tackle that problem. I think that's, that's something we'll have to observe in the future. Yeah, and you you mentioned the word capture here, which I think is a really salient one. And I, I'm pretty sure most people, when they think of contemporary platforms today on the internet, they worry about these issues of capture. You know, uh, yeah. Google and Facebook and so on and so forth, uh, capturing our information, using it in different ways we might not have considered or wanted. And that's I think a lot of the push behind what sometimes gets called very contemporary contemporarily uh, Web three or the metaverse. Mm-hmm. And so maybe we, just to finish up here, do you have any thoughts on how how trust might be part of the future uh, when it comes to like Web3 or Metaverse? Yeah, I'm, I mean, if it's going to succeed at all, it, there needs to be thought put into trust. It, it, it just, um, if we if we want positive social outcomes, we want to be able to uh, encourage economic transactions and, um, you know, social coordination, we're going to have to think about trust. If we don't think about trust and there isn't, you know, trust and we have to kind of build in mechanisms to, to somehow uh, signal more trust or uh, to, to control the behavior of, of parties that might you know, not be trustworthy. There are huge transaction costs, and and this is what has been found by economists. Where there's less trust, the transaction costs rise. And so, so if we want this to succeed without huge transaction costs, then we have to think about it about that. But going back into this question of capture, uh, I think that's a lot of the thinking that is behind also discussions about interoperability. It's about making sure that there isn't platform capture, that people can move fluidly between these various ecosystems and, you know, these protocols that are not interoperable at this point in time. But I also talk about, you know, going back to this notion of a socio-informational technical system. It's not just the protocols at the consensus level that need to be interoperable. It's the semantics, the syntactics of the ledger uh, the ledgers themselves, and it's also social interoperability because I talk about the governance of these um, ecosystems, not just 
consensus or algorithmic governance that might be baked into the consensus mechanisms, but, you know, how, you know, who are the core developers? How are decisions made about changes to the code base? Um, What are the, uh, what happens when, when there's a disagreement within the community? Um, You know, how are forks handled? How are, you know, how are, um, how are ledger splits incorporated back into the, the epistemic fold of the ledger? I think we have to, we have to think about interoperability and uh, trust at all of these different layers and get them to, um, you know, to work in a way that uh, doesn't involve capture uh, and uh, doesn't create social and epistemic uh, fragmentation in society because you know these these communities these ecosystems these blockchain ecosystems right now operate as very very separate and distinct communities not mm. not just technologies but communities there are you know people if you're you know a bitcoiner you're a bitcoiner and if you're involved in ethereum you're involved in ethereum it, there's there's very distinct social norms and values and governance practices. And so if we want to avoid having this kind of fragmentation, which isn't even, it goes beyond just like economic capture on social media platforms, but to like real social fragmentation, we have got to think about uh, trust and we've got to think about interoperability and um, how these platforms will navigate and interact with each other. So we've got some tough work ahead. Uh, for anyone that's interested in learning a little bit more about your your past research, but also your forthcoming book, where where would uh, someone go to find out more information? Uh, so, well, you know, you can search me up on Google Scholar. Um, the uh, book that I mentioned on the three-layer model is uh, published by Springer. So you can find that book on Springer. It's edited with my colleague, um, Chen Feng who's um, in the engineering department at uh, UBC, my my colleague here at uh, Blockchain at UBC. And then my forthcoming book will be out in around May, I think, April or May, and it's Cambridge University Press. And it's called Searching for Trust, and you can, you can search that up. That's wonderful. All right, thank you very much. Uh, I look forward to seeing the book on the shelves. Thanks so much, Quinn. It's been great to talk to you. And I'm a great admirer of your work as well. And and, uh, we need to reverse roles so I can talk to you about your work. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Thank you for listening to our interview with Victoria Lemieux. To find out more about the IEEE Blockchain Initiative, please visit our web portal at blockchain.ieee.org.